Hey, hello to you all. As Micah said, my name's Jim Hunter. Uh, every other Sunday of the year, I'm sitting out there right with you. Um, just been a longtime member here at Vineyard Northwest, but um, excited today to uh, bring a little more um, uh, meat, I think, to what something I started nine weeks ago. Nine weeks ago today, August 8th, I actually gave a message here called Standing on Earth, Sitting in Heaven. And that was part one. So today we're going to get part two. All right? Um, and just if you weren't there, it was just as a little bit of a review, what, uh, what I meant by that was we're living in two realities here on earth, the reality of earth and the reality of heaven. They're, they're both around us all the time. We can see and touch and feel the reality of earth, so we're real familiar with that, but the reality of heaven isn't quite or always as perceptible to us. And, and yet Jesus, we have a model. Jesus lived in both of those, and some of the things that Jesus said, some of the commands he gave really only make sense in the context of the reality of heaven. And um, we can live like Jesus did in both realities because not only are we living and breathing on earth, but we've been raised with him, Ephesians 2 says, um, uh, and are seated with him in the heavenly places. So theologically, we, it's true all the time. We're seated with him in heaven. But experientially, we don't, we don't always live in that, uh, that understanding or that awareness. So when we do, though, I said um, there are two things that we, um, that we perceive or we experience, and that's God's presence and God's peace. Those are the things that I mentioned last time. By God's presence, I mean not just that he's everywhere, which he is all the time, but that he is here now, just like we were experiencing it uh, during worship and in the ministry time. And then the peace of God um, <clears throat> carries with it this idea that nothing is missing. This contentment, this w wellness that... Um, uh, even though we see things missing on earth, which we do, and we're not supposed to pretend we don't, but we can, we can address those missing things on earth from our position in heaven rather than from our position on earth where we're powerless and really have very little uh, uh, ability to impact those things that are missing on earth. So um, today I want to I add one more thing that I think we experience when we're, we're sitting in heaven. And, but I also want to spend some time on uh, what do we do if we're in a position where we just don't feel like we're, we can get into heaven. Uh, we feel like heaven's locked for whatever reason. We, feel, we know we want to believe the theological truth, but we just feel like we can't. Because I think that's that's something that at some point in our journeys, we're all going to deal with that. And, and so I want to talk about that. But so to start out, I think the next resource we get besides God's peace, um, God's presence and God's peace is we get God's purpose when we're sitting in heaven. We're sitting in heaven. We, we get this eternal perspective. Obviously, we can see the, the beginning and the end. Um, we can see what God's heart is, and uh, we can see that everything in, in history is working toward this one day when there will be multitudes. Revelation 7 talks about multitudes, too many to count, 
that will be worshiping God at his throne. And among those worshipers will be people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And that's, that's God's heart. And, and when, you're, when we're in heaven, we know, okay, yeah, that is, that is your heartbeat. Um, and so it becomes part of our own, uh, our own heartbeat of the way we live. But I want to look at some scriptures because God's revealed this purpose throughout thousands, over thousands of years through scripture. So I want to talk um, about what that is. Um, we can see that he, what, what the, his purpose is and what our role in it is. So we get that first in Genesis 1.28, right at the beginning of the Bible. God says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So this is the, the first kind of announcement of our assignment. We've been created in God's image, and he says what he wants us to do is fill the earth and subdue it. And we won't go into the details about it, but he, he doesn't mean that we're going to do it on our own. He means that we will go with him, and the garden will expand as we become more um, faithful and uh, able to manage the, the territory that he gives us. That'll keep expanding and expanding as we grow in intimacy with him. But that's not the way it worked. Obviously, there was the fall. But then we get a little more understanding about what subduing the earth looks like in a little later in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, <clears throat> go from your country, your people, your father's family, go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will put a curse on anyone who puts a curse on you. All nations on earth will be blessed because of you. And later we learn it's through Jesus that that happens. And um, this is called the Abrahamic Covenant. It occurs several times in the book of Genesis to, to the Abraham who was the father of the people of Israel and our spiritual father. And, and then it's actually not in these words, but and there's an allusion to this promise in literally every book of the Bible from, the, from Exodus then on through Revelation. In fact, uh, Micah led us in Psalm 67. It was right there that as we gaze on the, the face of God um, and his, his, shine, his light shines on us, the nations see that and the nations will come to him. So it's all the way through scripture. Our family uh, in the 90s when our kids were smaller, our family memorized these three verses together because they really do capture the, the whole theme of, or the main theme of, of the whole Bible. So um, you probably all know this, but when you're born into the family of God, you're born into a family business, right? God has a business, uh, and we all have a part to play to that. The family business can be described like this. <clears throat> God is gathering a great family of worshipers from every nation, tribe, and tongue to be a bride of dazzling beauty for the honor of his son. That's what's going on. That's the main thing that God is doing on the earth right now. It's all focused on Jesus, the, what Jesus has done to, to die, 
pay for our sins, rescue us from death. What, what he's done is so amazing that God wants to make sure everybody hears about it and everybody has a chance to receive uh, his love through that. And so um, he, he wants this, this word to go out to every nation. And as it goes out farther and farther, his glory spreads. And we know that at one day, his glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's a promise. It's going to happen. And, and our part in that, as the, the human beings that were saved by Jesus, um, we get to be the bride of the Son. <laughs> and there's all kinds of allusions in Scripture to that, but um, this bride uh, will be a beautiful bride. And he's already made us pure and holy. Our righteous, his righteousness makes us righteous makes us pure and holy. But here's the thing. God wants the bride bride, to be as beautiful as possible. And we're not beautiful enough yet. The reason we haven't had the wedding yet, we're not beautiful enough yet. We won't be beautiful enough until there are people from every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue represented in, in the body of Christ. God is so zealous for this. He, he promised his son, Psalm 2, he says, I will give the nations to you as your inheritance. And, and he will not stop until that happens, until till that's, that's ready. So in this family business, um, if you grew up in a family business, you know everybody in the family has something to do in it, from the littlest to the, to the oldest. Uh, it could be just sweeping, could be bringing in the mail, it could be greeting customers at a door, it could be anything. But everybody in the family has something to do in the family business. And we get more detail about that from Jesus himself in, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we saw subduing the earth means blessing all peoples. And here we see blessing all peoples means going to them, making disciples of them, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught us. Every follower of Jesus, every member of the family has something to do with that purpose. I I summarize it by just saying neighbors and nations, neighbors and nations. Somehow, whatever I do, whatever job I have, wherever I live, somehow my life energy needs to be focused, uh, directed toward um, that enterprise, that family business, neighbors and nations. And notice this, Jesus says he will go with us. He will be with us through uh, the end of the age. We're not doing this on our own. He doesn't want us to do it on our own. Um, at home on my bookshelf, the top, I've got a lot of books, but on the top bookshelf, I keep <clears throat> um, a, a row of the books that have changed my life in some way. They, that when I read them, there was a truth there that just caused a course direction, a correction for me. And one of them is a book called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Old book. I read it back in the 90s. 
Um, but the insight from that was, he said, when God gives us an assignment, he doesn't send us out, say, do the assignment, and then report back to me and tell me how it went, and we'll talk about it. Um, and we might think it's that way because if we work uh, someplace, a boss might give us an assignment, and then we, again, we work on it, we, we get the uh, help we need, and we bring it back and report to them about how it went. There's usually a deadline, report back to me by blank. But with God, it's not like that at all. He goes with us when we do the assignment. Um, and that's what he was saying in Matthew. Yeah, I want you to go out and reach the nations, but I am going with you. Um, one of the things that I like to ask in my quiet time, just in terms of heightening my hunger for um, intimacy with God, I'll say, God, how near to you can I come today? How near to you can I come? And he always says, oh, son, you can come near. You, there's no limit to how near you can come. But then he says, uh, but understand this, buddy. I am on the move. I'm not just sitting here uh, doing nothing. I am on the move. Right now, I'm reaching out to your neighbor's and the nations. So yeah, you can be near me, but you gotta come with me because I am on the move. Um, and it's not, like, uh, it's not like he's gonna love us anymore if we obey him. Um, if you were here the first service last week uh, in Van's message, he even mentioned this, referred to this idea. We can't earn God's love. He loves us infinitely. So if we obey him and go with him, we're not going to, he's not going to love us anymore, but we will experience his love amazingly more if we go with him and obey him. It's our, to our benefit that we go with him and obey him. It doesn't impact how much he loves us, but we're going to experience it more if we, um, if we go with him. So he says, he says, do you want to come? <laughs> do you want to come with me today? Do you want to do what I do and go where I go and say what I say? And when I say neighbors and nations, um, we don't want to get into the uh, trap of saying it's neighbors or nations, like I can do one or the other, but I can't do both. Um, it's uh, Sometimes I hear when people, we start talking about going to the ends of the earth and people will say, well, but the reason I'm staying here is there are so many people here who still don't know the Lord, which is true. Um, maybe even your family members don't. And, and um, nobody is saying to stop praying for them, stop reaching out to people right around you, uh, not, uh, don't stop reaching out to your neighbors. But when you think of the nations, um, this illustration I think will help. If you were um, helping a friend of yours move into uh, a new house. A whole bunch of friends are gonna help him move into this new house. And you drive up on Saturday, the move is already underway, and you park, get out of your car, and walk up, and they, they've got this, the moving truck is there. They got this enormous van, uh, I'm sorry, uh, couch, big couch coming out of the, the moving van. And it's going into the house, and around one end of the couch, there are 10 big guys, uh, each with kind of like a hand on it, and they're just walking. It doesn't take very much to hold up that end of the couch. And at the other end, there's one guy 
that's just trying to negotiate the whole thing and his legs are wobbling and all that. Now, if you're just walking up and you see that, and if you want to help, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go to the end with the only one guy, right? I think every person in this room would do that. That's not even, that's not a spiritual gift. <laughs> that's just natural human wanting to be a helper. And you would go to the end with only one person. And when you look at the spread of the gospel on the earth today, that's kind of what it's like. There are so many people here in the Western uh, civilized, uh, Western civilization, the, uh, by that I mean the uh, uh, US and Europe, so many people here who already have a chance to hear the gospel. There are so many ministers of the gospel here. And there are other countries where either the gospel has never been or it's never taken root uh, deeply enough that there's a thriving church movement there. So that's why uh, it's just if you look at, well, you know, which end would I go to? Um, you know, some of us need to be going to the end with, the, with only one guy holding up uh, that end of the couch. And it's not as hard to reach the nations um, as it used to be. Um, you know, in the 1700s, you had to get on a boat. You had to ride that boat nine months to another country. You would never see your family again. Um, but it's not like that now. The, the, the world has come to the United States. There are people working here, people in school here. Um, and then it's so easy for us to get to the other nations. We've already sent this year, we've sent teams to several different countries at different times of the year. Um, you could plug into those teams. Uh, there are some people here that are getting ready to actually go move uh, to another country and, and live there and invest their lives in the people there. But um, it's just not as hard as it used to be. And even if you don't go, just having the nations on the, the top of your radar, that's, that's God's heartbeat. You know, this love that, that Micah was talking about the, uh, in Psalm 67, it's that it would come through us and, and touch the nations. So whether you get on some prayer lists that you're interceding for the nations or uh, you're sending money to support missionaries there, whatever, um, the nations... Is, uh, is just really high on God's heart. So when, when we're sitting in heaven, that's what I'm saying, when we're sitting in heaven and we see the end of the story, then it's just, it's just, uh, it's just something that you know. You know, my life on earth has to be committed to being a part of this. It's part of being in the family. It's just what we do. So... So that's part of what we get when, we, um, when we're sitting in heaven. But I want to I wanna finish up today and talk about this idea of what do we do if we feel like we're locked out of heaven? If we say, God, I want to be in heaven, but the reality of earth has just knocked me over and I don't feel like I can get up. I just can't, can't reach you. It's like there's a block or something like that. Um, this has come up for me recently because uh, I mentioned nine weeks ago I gave part one of this message. So in the nine weeks since then to today, I have spent at least six weeks of that nine weeks 
experiencing this, feeling like I was in darkness, feeling like um, uh, the reality of earth was all I could see, just heaven, can't see it, don't know what it is. Um, I was not a walking God moment, I can tell you. (laughs) I was a walking dark cloud of doom, Uh, seriously. And um, here's some journal entries from that time. God, I feel, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to believe the truth, but I know you are with me. Another one, I feel lost and disconnected from you, God. Another one, I feel like the world is caving in around me. Parentheses, I know it's not. I feel like there are no solutions. Parentheses, I know there always are. <laughs> so you know, I knew the truth, but it just wasn't what I could reach with my heart. Um, here's one. Worship music just clangs off the wall. And that never, I mean, that's super, super, super rare for me because a lot of times I can just put on the worship music and then, okay, back. Here we are, back. But it wasn't coming back. I couldn't get it back. Um, Another one, still struggling. I'm up at 4 a.m. It's storming storming with thunder and lightning. Usually that brings me comfort, but not tonight. So I want to talk about the steps that I took in this six-week time to, uh, to get out of that and to get back to a place where I can say, oh, yeah, God, ah, I, you know, I'm sitting in heaven again. I can see you. Um, and there was none of them, none of these individual ones was a magic wand that just snapped me out of it. It was really, it was a slog through it, and it was kind of like a stair step, um, except I couldn't tell I was getting higher until I finally got to the end, but each one of these was was a step in the right direction. So here's some things that I did. Number one, stay in Scripture. Stay in Scripture. So I was reading Scripture every day, even though I felt like I was getting nothing out of it, but I was staying in Scripture um, praying in my prayer language, uh, you know, with the Spirit, praying in words that I don't understand. But so Psalm 139, one day I was reading that. Um, Darkness is as light to you, verses 11 and 12 say. So I could read that and say, um, God, I know I'm, li- I feel like I'm in darkness, but darkness is as light to you. So I know it's not darkness to you. It's darkness to me, but it's not darkness to you. Um, then number two, declaring what is true. Um, declarations, I don't know how you feel about declarations. When, when we started first hearing about that as a body, which is years ago, many years ago now, so many people have, have um, enriched us with teachings on this. I was a little skeptical. I thought maybe this means we're making up things that aren't really true and, and kind of you know playing word games or something like that. But honestly, um, it's, it's super, super powerful uh, in keeping us on track and getting, getting us out of the kind of funk that I was in. Um, and again, so, and what I've got, what, and what I fell back on during this time, especially, I've got pages and pages and pages of declarations, but the, the one that I kept coming back to was this um, 
what I call things that I know are true about God, whether I believe them or not. And um, I've just compiled this. You could put 100 things on this list. They're all straight from Scripture. But sometimes when I'm in this nagging doubt uh, experience, part of the pressure I feel is, oh, my goodness, what if I don't believe? What, 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 of my, what parts of my life will come crashing down if I don't believe? Maybe God will stop being God if I don't believe he's God. And, and, and you feel that it's crazy, but you feel that kind of pressure. And so it's good for me to come and say, you know what? Pressure's off. <laughs> you don't have to believe. These things are true whether you believe them or not. And so um, you don't, it's not, it doesn't depend on you, Jim. Just chill. Just read these things. So I would go through, uh, and I won't go through them all, but God never changes. He always wants to bring heaven to earth. He always wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's always a healing God, always a redeeming God. He is always with us. So again, when I didn't feel like God was with me, but just declaring, yes, God, I know you are always with me. And partly the way it works, um, I think, is um, when I grew up, uh, I lived, lived on a farm, and I worked with my uncle, who was a full-time farmer. And we had this one tractor that would not start in the mornings, and it was something either with the battery or the, um, the starting mechanism somehow. But we would, at the end of the day when we were done, we would back it up a small hill in front of a, uh, one of his storage uh, sheds and park it facing down uh, so that then in the morning we would come in. Um, you know, we leave it in gear overnight so it's not moving. Then we come in, put the brake on, throw in the clutch pedal, um, which would take it out of gear. And then I let off the brake and the thing starts rolling down the hill. Then I'd let the clutch pedal back out and the gears engage and the, the moving of the wheels moves the gears and then that moves the inside of the engine and the engine starts sputtering and then there we go, the engine starts. And I don't even know how that works. I, I'm, not, I'm not a mechanically minded guy. I don't know how that works. But something happened. There was a spark in there by the mechanical movement, but it had to be, you had to get gravity to help you to get that moving. But I think declarations sometimes are like that. We get, you know, our tongue moving, our jaw moving, and then we hear it in our ears, and then that, our, our brain gets connected. And somehow all of that in there, there's a spark that we can say, oh yeah, yes, this is true. I believe it's true. So declarations are super. Um, then going on, calling out the lies for what they are. Um, John 8, 44, Jesus says um, that Satan's native language is lies. And if we hear something that's not true, we can, we can just say, that's not even my thought. It's a thought from the enemy. He threw it in there. I don't, I'm not responsible for it. I don't have to deal with it. It's not my thought. So just calling things out like that um, is, uh, is a powerful weapon. Pursue God's promises tenaciously. This actually, um, Van did a message on this maybe three or four years ago now. I don't remember. But it was the idea that when God gives us promises, they're, they're true, but we don't just get them sometimes without doing some work for them by attaching faith to them 
and acting in a way that means we want them. Um, the, the children of Israel, God gave them the promised land. It was called the promised land because he promised it to them. And it was a promise. But he said, you have to fight to go take that land. And so Philippians 4.7 was last time when I gave this message, that was the promise I was talking about. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when you have, you know, um, when you have given, um, made your requests to him. That's the first part of the verse. Um, so I was saying, God, I know this promise. I know it's true, but I, I'm not experiencing your peace now. It's not guarding my heart. Well, I mean, I didn't feel like it was. So pursuing it, pressing into it and saying, God, I'm not gonna stop until I get to your peace because I know this is a promise for me. But sometimes we have to pr pursue it tenaciously. Then um, pay attention to the big four lifestyle habits. I don't know if you've got these uh, in your toolbox or not, but I, I tell everybody the way I stay close to God, usually four things are needed. Good eating, good sleeping, good exercising, and good time alone with God. And only one of those is really what you would call spiritual. The others are just physical habits. But the way God created us, the physical can really, really affect our spiritual connection. So if we're not sleeping, for example, that, that really is a problem. Prioritize being over doing. In Mark 3, says God, uh, Jesus called the 12, called them apart to be with him and to go out and preach the gospel and to cast out demons. But the priority, the first priority was to be with him. So sometimes when we're in this funk, um, we may just be too busy or we may feel like we're earning God's favor by doing something and maybe we need to just kind of pull out for a little bit and not do quite as much and then be with him. Maybe that's what we need. Um, then these last four, these are the ones that I felt like were really, really the critical ones for me. Talk with someone about it. 1 John 1.7 uses the phrase walking in the light. And the principle of walking in the light is that we don't keep things hidden, don't keep things secret. And um, uh, whenever we're going through a struggle, we need to be talking with someone about it. I had two really good conversations, well, one really good conversation with my son during this time, who's a counselor, and two really good ones with my wife. And you might think, weren't you talking to your wife every day? <laughs> and uh, on some level we were, but we weren't talking about this. I couldn't talk about it. But I had two really good conversations with her during this time that helped, again, one more step in, the, in getting out of the, the basement. Number eight, ponder the cross. Um, we, the truth is that we love God because he first loved us. We don't generate our own love for him. We're responding to his love for us all the time. And the cross is the supreme picture of God's love for us. So just pondering that, say, oh yeah, you did it. You, you, you were separated from God, Jesus, because you love me so much to carry my sin to hell so it would be done away with. And um, just pondering that helps, um, helps me. 
Then number nine, the identity. I'm a child of God. Again, we've gotten this from so many good um, streams of the church, but um, that I don't have to prove anything to God, don't have to prove anything to anybody. Um, I'm his child. Uh, I can't do anything good or bad that will make him love me any more or less than he already does. This, this is the identity. I am a child of God. So just so some days during this stress, I would just go, I'm your child. Father, you love me. I'm your child. Father, you love me. I'm your child. Father, you love me. And again, it, it wasn't connecting, but I was, I know this is true. I know this is true. Um, and then childlike faith. This is something that I am just starting at this. And, and I'm 64. I'm just starting at this. But another book on my top shelf is a book by Mark Batterson, a pastor out in Washington, D.C. It's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's a crazy title. It comes from a story in the Old Testament. But in the, in the book, he makes this point. He says, when we get saved and start on this journey of, of knowing God more, we have two tracks. One track is becoming more like Jesus, and the other track is becoming more like a child. And I read that, and I said, what? I have never heard that. I, I've been a Christian for 40 years or whatever at the time. I have never heard that. In fact, I said, where do, you, where do you get that? And, well, he gets it from Matthew 18, 3. Matthew, uh, Jesus says, anybody who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven must, be, must change and become like a little child to do that. You must change and become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so... If I'm talking about standing on earth and sitting in heaven, if I want to be sitting in heaven, I've got to get this change and become like a little child. And I've said to God, I don't even, I wasn't even really much of a child when I was a child. I feel like I went from zero to 15 in my development. Uh, when I was in eighth grade uh, for basketball practice, we had just, uh, the, it was the first practice of the year. We hadn't even started Coach is telling us how things are going to go. And he says, any questions? And I said, yeah, when's the season over? And he goes, what? Don't you want to play? Do you want the season to be over already? And I, I was embarrassed. Everybody laughed. And I thought, why did I say such a stupid thing? I said, well, I just want to get my calendar straight. You know, I've got commitments. I want to know when this commitment is done. I've got a plan. And doesn't everybody want to plan their calendar? And no, Jim, most eighth grade boys don't care about that. So I've, this, the child thing, God just has to create a child heart in me. And, and I'm asking him to do that because, again, I want to be in heaven. I want to be sitting in heaven with him. And I, and I think that's a big, big piece. So last thing, um, in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. Job 19 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. So last Tuesday night, it was, um, and again, it had been six weeks. Last Tuesday night, I sat at the supper table with Karen. I looked at her, I said, you know, 
I think I'm finally ready to rejoin the world. Finally ready to love people again. Finally ready to love you again. Um, you know, I was, I was missing an action in our marriage for six weeks. I just, and, and again, Karen knew something was wrong, but she couldn't fix it. And Tuesday night, I finally said, ha, ah, okay, I'm finally back, I'm finally ready. And this verse, I think, is a beautiful verse to finish with because it says in the end, Jesus says, Jesus will stand on the earth. And if all you can picture, if you're trying to picture yourself standing on the earth and sitting in heaven, if all you can do is picturing yourself standing on earth, picture Jesus standing on earth with you. And when he comes, he's bringing the fullness of heaven. He's bringing everything that's missing and he's, he's uh, holding you in his arms and he's standing with you. So that's what we need to remember. So, amen. Thank you.